And so this morning, um, as we look at Psalm 86, we'll be looking at it in four major themes. The first will be looking at an, an undivided heart that looks to God alone. Secondly, an undivided heart that trusts in God alone. Third, an undivided heart that is given to us by God alone. And lastly, an undivided heart that witnesses to the greatness of God alone. And so we'll look at an undivided heart that looks to God alone, trusts in God alone, is given to us by God alone, which is going to be the major thrust this morning, and witnesses to the greatness of God alone. So if you'll open up to Psalm 86, if you aren't there already, and let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with thanksgiving that we are your children, that you are our God. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive what you have for us this morning through your word. So we commit this time to you in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. So let's look at verse 1, Psalm 86. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. An undivided heart looks to God alone for help, because he alone hears and answers. In verse 1, we read, Bow down your ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. To understand Psalm 86 is to first understand that it is a prayer. People call upon all sorts of things for help in their time of need. But David calls upon the God of the universe, asking that he who sits enthroned above would bow down his ear to hear the, the cry of a man that is in need. He says, for I am poor and needy. To be poor is to recognize that I am without. I am nothing. I have nothing. And to be needy is to recognize that I am unable to provide. And that's the position that he comes before the Lord. He is saying, I am nothing and I am unable to provide that for which I so desperately need. David looks to God alone to, for help because God alone is sovereign over all things and he alone is able to provide for that which he so desperately needs. 
And brothers and sisters, this is where we need to be, where we must be in approaching God in prayer. To, to come before God is to come before him in a place of being poor and needy, is in the place of coming before the Lord and saying, I am nothing, I have nothing, but you are everything, and you have all things, and you work all things for the good of your people. And in verse 5, we see that David can come boldly before God, not by any merit of his own, but by the goodness, the forgiveness, and the abundant mercy of God. Verse 5, he prays, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. And in Psalm 130, which we read this morning, if you were here for the call to worship, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. David understood that no one can stand before God Almighty if it was not for his forgiveness. God would never bow his ear down to hear the cry of someone who is poor and needy if it wasn't for his abundant mercy. And so in verse 7, David can declare with confidence that in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. In in verse 1, he asked God to hear his prayer. And by the time he gets to verse 7, he proclaims with confidence that in the day of trouble, God will answer In verse 1, you have the humble cry of an unworthy sinner before an almighty God. And in verse 7, you have the confident assertion that God indeed hears and answers this unworthy sinner. And it's all brought together by the abundant mercy of a God who is ready to forgive all who call upon his name. And we, of course, know as New Testament believers that this forgiveness is found in the person and in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Brothers and sisters, this should give you great joy and confidence before an almighty God that he hears your cry. An undivided heart looks to God alone for help because he alone hears and answers. Second, an undivided heart trusts in God alone because He alone is trustworthy. If you look at verse 8 with me, we'll read verses 8 to 10. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And so we see, a, we see a shift here in David's prayer. He turns from a prayer of supplication or a prayer of request to proclaiming God's supreme greatness over anything that has ever existed, over anything that ever will exist. And this is the basis for his undivided trust amidst a very troubling time. During David's time and throughout ancient biblical history, the conflict between 
Israel and the nations was ultimately a conflict between the God of Israel and the God, the gods of the nations. And David is comparing, he's comparing the two, he's setting them side by side, and he's proclaiming that really there is no comparison. And the temptation for David and Israel during times of trouble was to walk away from the God they didn't see and to, to follow after the gods of this world, especially when those who worship other gods seem to be successful or rewarded. The temptation in these times is to have divided hearts, to run after the things of the world when things are not going well. And this is a temptation for us in our context today. With every other worldview and with every other religion always striving but never able to attain that which man so desperately needs, whether it is looking to self or whether it is looking to the false gods of our day. And it's important to understand that there is no power in these gods. There is no salvation in these gods. There is no life in these gods because these gods don't exist. They are nothing more than empty beliefs. And yet, David makes this comparison here in verses 8 through 10, that among the gods there is none like you. You see, their gods were created beings, but the one true God is eternal, uncreated, always was, and always will be. Their gods were powerless, waiting for man to respond. The one true God is all-powerful, sovereignly in control of all things. Their gods have standards that change with the times and change with the culture. The one true God is holy and just, perfect in all his ways, punishing the wicked and rewarding the righteous. Their gods were fear-mongering. The one true God is merciful and loving, forgiving all those who call upon him. Their gods are passive. The one true God is faithful, himself fulfilling every one of his promises. And this is God's character. And there is none among the gods or world religions or philosophies that is like him. And God's character is expressed through his works, through what he has done. His works flow out of who he is. And this is the confidence that we have in Christ. This is the fuel that drives our desire to have an undivided heart, his character that is expressed through his works. What has God done that is unlike any other? I'm just going to mention two things that God has done unlike any other. First, God has revealed himself directly to us. All other worldviews and religions come from man. Christianity comes from God. And what is the basis for this assertion? God has spoken directly to his prophets over thousands and thousands of years, prophet after prophet after prophet, with perfect unity. As you look at all of Scripture, we see God's purposes perfectly revealed over thousands of years through many prophets where he spoke to them directly, not through 
a messenger, and I was just one prophet on some mountain, totally unvalidated. Our God has spoken directly through thousands and thousands of years. God has revealed himself fully through his Son, whom he sent into the world. We know from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the express image of God. The express image. We have eyewitness accounts of Christ. People who saw his death, his resurrection and ascension. People who willingly and brutally gave up their lives in the early church for, for, for what they knew to be true with absolute certainty. No other God or religion can boast of God's direct revelation nor attest to his trustworthiness as we can. God's character and his works as spoken through his word is completely trustworthy. Our faith may not be by sight, but our faith is not without substance. You can bank your lives entirely on the truth of God's word. And what else has God done unlike any other? God ensured that his promises would come to pass. He ensured in his faithfulness that his promises would come to pass by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to do what man could never do for himself. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16, God says, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. His own arm brought salvation for him. That's what God has done for us to ensure his promises. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to fulfill all righteousness and to bear the penalty of our unrighteousness so that we can know with full assurance that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we certainly see this in David's prayer in verse 13. That he, David knew that God forgives. David knew that God saves. And we know that it is all because of the shed blood of Christ. And for the believer, his promises to never leave us or forsake us, to let nothing ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus are guaranteed through the gift of the Holy Spirit whom he sent into our hearts. What a great work that God has done flowing out of his character like none other. God has ensured that his promises would come to pass by his faithful hand, by his own arm of salvation. We can trust in God alone with undivided hearts because God alone is trustworthy. Some of you may have heard of a woman, I believe she died in 1983, Corrie Ten Boom. She was a, a believer living in Holland during World War II. Her family risked their lives hiding Jews until on February, in February of 1944, they were betrayed and they were arrested. Uh, Corey was one of the ringleaders, if you will, um, working, developing networks in Holland there to find people who would also hide Jews. And, um, and after they were arrested, 
She and her family were sent to prisons and concentration camps where her, her father, her sister, and her brother all died. She alone lived and made it through. And she says this. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. You can trust the engineer with an undivided heart because he alone is trustworthy. And what we see here in verse 11 is that calling upon and trusting God with an undivided heart is not a goal to be attained, but a lifelong prayerful dependence upon God who is able to unite your heart to glorify him. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David prays for two things. He prays that God would teach him, and that ultimately God would unite his heart to fear God's name. He prays, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. His prayer is rooted in the good and perfect way of God as opposed to the sinful, imperfect ways of man. And to walk is not just to do this or to do that. It is to give oneself wholly to it. To walk in pride, for example, is not to simply do something or to say something proud, but it is to give yourself fully to the pride of your heart. And therefore, David prays that God would unite his heart to fear God's name. Your heart is the place of your deepest affections and your deepest desires. The, the things you do and the things you say are really a reflection of what is in your heart. And your heart's desires can be divided in both subtle and not so subtle ways. It can be divided by the things of this world. It can be divided by the philosophies of this world, the distractions of this world, and ultimately the sinful desires of your flesh. And so pray that God would make your hearts undivided by removing anything that would divide your affections for him that he would unite your hearts to fear his name and his name alone. And to fear his name is to stand in awe of his majesty. It is to submit to his rule and reign over your lives out of a heart of thanksgiving. For the, un for the unbeliever, it's a terrifying fear, and rightly so, for the unbeliever has nothing to look forward to but his judgment. But for the believer, it is a, it's a reverential, a loving fear that is associated both with the justice of God and the mercy of God. He could have wiped us out 
with one word, but instead he saved us and brought us into his eternal kingdom. And therefore, as David proclaims in verses 12 and 13, I will praise you with all my heart and I will glorify your name forevermore. And it's based upon his great mercy that God has delivered David from the depths of death. I mean, you just see the gospel right there in Psalm 86 and in verse 13. This God who is enthroned above, and yet this God who is enthroned above because of his mercy is so intimate with us for what he's done for us personally. So we praise him and we glorify him for that. We seek with undivided hearts to fear his name. We're called reverence Bible church for a reason. Our desire at reverence is that, that God would be magnified and treasured above everything else in this world so that every member of this church would desire to have an undivided heart that fears his name and his name alone with a reverential, loving fear. That your desire for God would be greater than your desire for sin. That your desire for God would be greater than your desire for the things of this world. That when suffering and trials come, you would proclaim God is sufficient. You do not need to look anywhere else or to anyone else than to the one true God. And we desire as pastors, to magnify Christ in all that we do and in all the ministries that we have going on, not just from the pulpit, from everything, youth ministry to Tabitha's hands and everything that we're doing here, our desire is to magnify Christ above all else. In our teaching, in our service, so that all glory and all praise would go to him alone. But the reality is that our hearts are so prone to wander, to run after the things of this world, to trust in the things of the world, or to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God alone. And there is good news from Psalm 86, that God and God alone is able to to unite our hearts to fear his name. Having an undivided heart is not a goal to attain, but a prayer to be prayed, and it is a lifelong prayer at that. So ask him to unite your heart to fear his name. Ask him to show you the places where your heart is divided. Ask him to bring you to that place of loving him with all of your heart and trust him to do that work. God, save me nearly 20 years ago, and although my heart is never fully where it should be, I'm thankful that God has made my heart to love him more today than the day he saved me. And I'm thankful for the many saints that have gone before us right here at Reverence Bible Church who testify to the same thing. Men like Earl Milligan before he passed and Pastor Bill Acton, men while in their 90s proclaiming how their love for Christ has grown more and more precious 
throughout the years, evidences of what we know and what we see to be true here in Psalm 86. An undivided heart is not a goal to attain, but a lifelong prayerful dependence upon the God who alone is able to unite our hearts to fear his name and his alone. Lastly, an undivided heart witnesses to the greatness of God alone. Look with me, verse 14. We'll read through the end of the chapter. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In verse 17, David says, show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And David prays that the watching world, even his enemies, would see that the Lord has helped him and comforted him. His prayer is not wrapped up in himself and what he can get out of the deal, but his prayer is wrapped up in the person and the work of God alone so that his life would be to the glory of God alone, that even his enemies would see that. And a quick reference to uh, verse 9 his enemies, those nations, one day God would bring into his fold through the work of Christ. And this is the fruit, or this is the outward expression of hearts that are more and more undivided for him, that others would see that you have been helped and comforted. And this is perhaps most clear in times of trial and suffering as David was experiencing here in this prayer. And throughout the years, we've had the privilege of witnessing hearts that have been helped and comforted deeply amidst incredible trials here at Reverence. Just this week, Jesus and Lindsay Oliveira, and Jesus, for those of you, again, who are part of the prayer group, if you're not on the prayer list, um, let Debbie Wolf know Debbie's here and to be added to the prayer list because these prayers come out through the week to be praying for people. Um, but there was a, a Jesus um, in his 20s, late 20s, um, they found out he has a very rare heart condition. Went into the hospital, like 0.2% or something like that of people actually get this heart condition and uh, they had to get him to the hospital and they didn't know what was going on with his heart. And Lindsay, his wife, posted an update in the middle of everything that was going on. This wasn't after the fact. This was in the midst. As you'll see, I'm going to read a little bit from her update um, that was just so encouraging, such an example, a witness to the greatness of God amidst incredible trials. And 
And Lindsay, she wrote this. He's young, healthy, fit, and active. He's not a typical candidate for a heart attack. Yet here we are. It's been a very long emotional day and night, question mark. I just realized it's 5 a.m. But my man is still all smiles. However, it is a reminder at how we have no control on our lives. No control over how many beats our hearts make. Would I have thought I would be in the hospital with my 28-year-old husband five months after our wedding? Absolutely not. But God is so sweet and gracious to get us here when he did and to get Jesus under the best care possible. We thought things were calming down, but his nurses are starting to quicken their pace, increase his morphine, and put him in for more tests. Even though we have no control over the situation, we are so thankful that God does. And it's a post in the midst of it. And you could just hear that in that post. And praise the Lord, Jesus is doing well. Um, they had another update a couple of days ago that um, he is doing well and, and that recovery is on the way. But you look at that witness to the greatness of God. They've been helped and comforted. And we have others. We have so many examples, but I mean, I think of Pam Breland among us who lost her husband unexpectedly two years ago. I think of Jordan and, and Haley Replegal who lost their precious baby about two or three years ago as well. And I, I've seen them. I've seen how they've walked through this with incredible trust, with hearts that are undivided for him, looking to God alone for their comfort amidst some of the darkest times you could ever imagine in life. And these brothers and sisters and, and many more in this room alone with undivided hearts have, have witnessed to the greatness of God alone. He has been their help and their comfort. His power has been at work through the weakness of his people and it's all pointed to his greatness. Have these brothers and sisters struggled through difficult times? Absolutely. But they have done so with a prayerful dependence upon God who alone has and is molding their hearts to be undivided more and more for their affection for him. This is the prayer and this is the call of Psalm 86. To have an undivided heart that looks to God alone as those who are poor and needy to an all-sufficient God who is everything and has all things and works all things for the good of his people. To have an undivided heart that trusts in God alone because he alone is trustworthy. To have an undivided heart that is given to us by God alone. A lifelong prayer, a lifelong dependence on the ruler of our hearts who alone can make our hearts undivided for him. And to have an undivided heart that witnesses to the greatness of God alone. May God grant you such an undivided heart. 
Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as poor and needy, desperately in need of you, the God of the universe, to hear our cry. And we thank you that you do hear our cry because of your abundant mercy. Help us to trust in you with undivided hearts. And Father, we pray that you would mold and shape our hearts to be undivided in our love for you. We need you to do that. We ask that you would do that. And we pray that it would be to the praise and to the glory of your name and in, 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 to the praise and glory of your name alone. And we thank you in advance. In the name of Christ, amen.